The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. The sun did come up today in Starkville, Mississippi. It might have needed a little bit of help, but it did come up after a, a very, very disappointing result in Liberty Bowl. And uh, we're going to speak at length about that. We're going to break down the game and talk about some of the things that went wrong. But uh, here's the reality of the situation. We didn't play well. We didn't play well. And Texas Tech took the fight to us from the beginning of the ballgame. Now, we had several players out, but the majority of those were on defense. Now, if you had told me that, hey, the score of the Liberty Bowl is going to be 34 to 7, I'm going to say, hey, man, what a great game by us. Never expected to get beat like this. Yeah, I thought there was a possibility we may lose because it's football, right? I didn't think they were going to be able to beat us without our help, but they did. And I give Texas Tech and a lame duck staff a lot of credit. This is a team that had lost, what, four or five games? The the head coach, the interim coach, is leaving to go to Louisiana Tech. They had every reason to check out. They did. But they didn't. They had less to play for than we did. But they didn't play like it. And so, no matter what else I say on the rest of the show, I think it is important that we give Texas Tech a lot of credit for coming out ready to play against an SEC team and against, you know, Mike Leach, their former coach, that, uh, you know, had some things to say that were a bit inflammatory this week in the media. And they punched us in the mouth and then dared us to swing back. And everything we did offensively seemed like an incredible struggle. Everything. We never found any sense of rhythm. At, at no point did it ever feel like that we were going to just go, go down the field and score. And there have been games this year where you just feel like, hey, just give us the ball back. We're going to go ahead and put this ball in the end zone. It never felt that way. It never, ever, ever felt like State was on the verge of just breaking out. It was a herky-jerky game throughout. And Texas Tech had a lot to do with that. And we're going to talk about some failures on the Mississippi State uh, side today on the show. We're going to talk about some missed opportunities. But, again, no matter what I say the rest of the show, all the credit in the world goes to Texas Tech. Now, we contributed to some of that. But to sit here and say it's all about us would be disrespectful to them and disingenuous. Texas Tech was better than us last night. And that's disappointing. It really is. And that's in no way is a shot at their program. But when you look at the, the perceived trajectory of these two programs over the season, Mississippi State should have been the better team. But we weren't. 
We weren't. We were a 10-and-a-half-point favorite, I guess, going into yesterday. And then there were some announcements about some players not being uh, available. So I'm going to run those down for you real quick here before we get into our our game break. Obviously, you know, you know Malik Heath out, had the, the very serious car accident. You know, he was out. Charles Cross, Martin Emerson already opted for the draft. Aaron Brule uh, has already moved on uh, to Michigan State. And then we had some other guys who were, quote, unavailable. Now, one of the things that I want to say, you know, Jaden Cromedy got banged up against Ole Miss, so his situation was completely unrelated to some of the others. But I'm going to run this down for you real quick here. Uh, Scott Lashley was a late scratch, but the, the long offensive player that was a late scratch. And, you, and I'll be honest, I hate to throw you know, shade at Scott. We might have been, actually been better with Cam Jones at right tackle than we were with Scott. I mean, Scott's had some moments, but he's been up and down. He's been our most inconsistent starter on the offensive line down the stretch. But Scott was unavailable. Jack Harris, who had been unavailable, had had a couple of injuries this year, and if I'm not mistaken, had hand surgery. We were hoping to get him back for the Egg Bowl. We didn't. He was unavailable last night. Uh, Randy Charlton, a starting defensive end. Jaden Crumberty, of course, a starting defensive tackle. Aaron Odom, a reserve defensive end. Jalen Green, starting safety. Sean Preston, a part-time starter at safety. Dylan Lawrence, a second-teamer. And then special teams guy Kyle Cass. So those guys are out. But the reality of it is, as you expected, you know, that to, to have an impact perhaps on Mississippi State's rush defense, and it did. But, guys, we scored seven points. You know, the fact that Jaden Crumberty wasn't there had nothing to do with our offensive issues. You know, the fact that Sean Preston and Jalen Green were unavailable last night had nothing to do with us dropping passes. It didn't. Now, one could say, you know what, it was kind of a makeshift offensive line. We go, well, we've known that Charles Cross wasn't going to practice throughout bowl practice. Nick Jones has been working at first-team left tackle. And to be honest with you, I thought Nick played pretty well. I never felt like he was overwhelmed. Now, granted, he's not Charles Cross. You know, that's the thing, too. You look at the first half, and you would think that's when you would see maybe our offensive line uh, pass protection be a little bit questionable. We gave up one sack, and that was on a play where Will Rogers scrambled and slid short of the, of the line of scrimmage. That's the only sack he gave up in the first half. And so I can't sit here and say, oh, you know, we had all these offensive line issues. Yeah, they got us a couple times in the second half. And to their credit, hey, good job. But I can't sit here and say with any, you know, with any confidence, well, you know, the offensive line kind of bogged down because it's not true. It's not true. And that's where I think this game is won or lost. I, we really felt like we had a great matchup. Texas Tech, 118th in the country in pass defense. We had guys getting open. We had guys dropping the football. We had times that, uh, you know, we, we were a little bit off target with our ball placement. There were times that we had some receivers not sit down in the zone. There's one play in particular I remember with Rara Thomas. Rara is wide open on a crosser. And some miscommunication. Looked like Will expected him to sit there in his own. So it's a misread by one of the two. But, um, you know, it's disappointing. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It is a disappointing result. It was a disappointing effort. It was disappointing execution. And it puts kind of a bitter taste in your mouth at the end of the year. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, guys, let's just relax. No, I mean, it's okay to be emotional because it matters to us. It does. Now, yeah, did we take a step forward this year? Absolutely. Absolutely it did. We did. We're objective. We take a deep breath and say, okay, listen, hey, we won, we won you know, four games last year. We won seven this year. 
So that's a step forward. But we didn't take as big a step forward as we probably should have. You know, I still contend as bad as the egg ball was, Ole Miss is better than us. They're, they're an older team. They're a veteran team. Got a potential first-round draft pick at quarterback who's been around this league. But I, I can't make those excuses about Texas Tech. You know, Texas Tech, to compare Texas Tech to Ole Miss is, is, is ridiculous. And so, yeah, I, I can kind of, as bad as it stinks, I can kind of reconcile losing the battle for the golden egg. But the deal last night, completely different. Completely different. It is. That, that was not a great Texas Tech team. And that, they know it. But they're feeling great. They're like, hey, you know, we won our bowl game. We, we stuck it to Mike Leach. We got a new staff coming in. Hey, man, we're excited. You know, we should be excited too, but our, our emotions are somewhat muted after last night, and rightfully so. Now, one of the things I want to say too, before I kind of get into breaking down the game, and uh, I say this with as much love in my heart as I possibly can because we are family, and because we are family, I believe we can be honest with one another. There are many of you that are very happy to be honest with me, uh, so I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you need to enact a personal policy that you're not going to get on Twitter or Facebook, you know, maybe for a couple of hours after a ball game. Some of the comments that I have read to me are more embarrassing than the ball game, and I, I mean that as honestly as I can say it. It's like we talk about, oh, you know, we're you know we're we're family, and I believe that we are. Yeah, you know, I got some cousins out there that uh, maybe I don't claim quite as close as others, but the reality of it is, it's like you know. It's easy to get caught up in the moment. But I have read some things that just blow my mind. And one of the things I want to say, you know, people are like, I don't understand why we wait and announce these uh, injuries or we announce these unavailabilities when we do. Well, the first thing is, why would we ever want to tell Texas Tech somebody's not playing? I mean, honestly, why? Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to put our team at a competitive disadvantage? Doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, if I had known these guys weren't playing, I wouldn't go into the ball game. So that's that is not a Mississippi State issue. That is a you issue. What you're really saying is that I'm a fair weather I'm a fair weather fan, and I think if we're going to have some adversity, I'm just going to watch it from home. And maybe you should. Maybe you should. But at the end of the day, I'm a Mississippi State bulldog. That's who I am. It's what I am. It's with me 365 days of the year. Even before I had this job, I still had the same passion. I still had the same belief in Mississippi State. And I'm going to go to the ball games. And I went to the ball games even before I had this job. And I've been doing this a long time now. And I'm not going to sit here and compare me to you. But if we were going to skip going to the ball game and going to support our team, and it is our team, because a couple of guys were going to miss the ball game, and you were just going to stay home because of that, I, th- I think you need to question your loyalties. You're not true maroon, if that's the case. And if that hurts your feelings a little bit, good. Because I'll be honest with you, I think Mississippi State deserves a lot better than that. So we only support some of the Bulldogs, not all the Bulldogs. And I understand people get caught up in the moment and they, you know, post and say things they shouldn't. And then that's, you know, that, that's part of adulthood too, is kind of knowing when not to say stuff. And it's something that I struggle with at times too. But if we were not going to go support our Bulldogs because some players were unavailable, then they're not our Bulldogs. They're my Bulldogs. 
but they're not your bulldogs. Well, Steve, how can you say that? Because I'm honest. Because I'm true maroon. And so, and that's the thing that I see is that, you know, we, we talk about, well, we need consistency. We need, you know, and then all that's true. But we need consistency among the fan base too. This is not just, you know, limited to players. We talk about, you know, we, we've got to recruit better. Okay, well, what, what looks better? And we had a decent crowd last night. We did. And hats off to everybody that came. I mean, honestly, I thought the Mississippi State fans were just kind of waiting to explode. We didn't have a whole lot to cheer about. But I commend the Bulldogs. It turned out it went. But, you know, how wonderful was it in 07 when you know, we, we set an attendance record? Didn't expect to do one last night. But what about when recruits turn on the TV and you know, they see a half-filled stadium? Well, Steve, you know, it's holiday season. Okay, well, what was your excuse throughout the football season? I mean, how many times do we have capacity crowds at Davis Wade Stadium this year? We won't talk about recruiting. What are you doing to contribute? And I don't mean do anything illicit or anything illegal, but get your butt to the ball game. You know, I give Dan Mullen a lot of credit for that when he got here. He goes, hey, he said, you don't, you don't sell out the stadium after you're established as a program. You sell out the stadium now. That helps you get established as a program. Some of the greatest years in our program's history. And you guys were at the ball game. But now we're on Twitter. Rather than being in the stands and ringing a cowbell and, you know, pushing the kids on to victory, now, you know, now we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. You know, we want to be social media gangsters. It's ridiculous, man. It is. You know, to each their own. But I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm, I'm on the side of the Mississippi State side. That's where, I, that's where I am. That's where I am. I want what's best for Mississippi State. I need you guys to help us. And, again, I commend those that turned out and came out. But, uh, but the bottom line is this, is that, you know, the, the very vocal minority of people, they don't go to games. Some do. Some do. There are some people, I think, that give money to Bulldog Club just so they can say that you know, they have a right to complain, and maybe you do. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that if, if we're really going to take the next step, we need to renew the season tickets. We need to encourage others to come out and be a part of it. You know, this fair-weathered fan nonsense, you want to talk about, you know, holding us back. I mean, you know, I look at some of these silver-haired dogs that, uh, you know, they come to games, win or lose, home or away. And I think, you know, those people have seen a lot of bad football in their lives, but they're still coming. They're still coming. And I read some people say, well, you know, you know, vote with your pocketbook. Don't go. I, you know what? Just go, go cheer for somebody else. I mean, honestly. Either, either you're, you're with us or against us. It's as simple as that. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. Love Bulldog Burger Company. I'm going to be there later this week. I love going in there and eating because I know that I'm going to get my money's worth. A lot of places you go. You pay a lot of money, and you don't get a lot of food. Well, you do at Bulldog Burger Company, and it's good quality food, too. That's the thing that I love about that is if I know that, hey, if I, maybe if I skip breakfast or maybe I didn't get a good supper last night and I wake up and I'm, I'm ready to go and I'm ready to go eat, I know that Bulldog Burger Company can scratch that itch. They'll take care of you, too. Whether you're getting the BLT salad, you can get that fried or grilled. It is expensive. You, you won't finish it. I'm just telling you, you won't. You could go get the pimentology add bacon. That'll put some hair on your chest. You can get the smokehouse and get the those sloppy Joe sliders are outstanding too. Maybe if you're not in the mood for a huge meal, but you just want something tasty, a good quality lunch, the sloppy Joe sliders are outstanding. 
But you're going to find somebody you like there. Bulldog Burger Company, a great place to eat, a great place to work. Three great locations to serve you now. University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And the new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Roads and Flowood area. You'll be glad you went by. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's break down this ball game as much as we don't want to. Let's go back and talk about it. So Mississippi State, you know, we, we win the toss and defer. And I'm thinking, hey, this is cool. Let's go out there. They got a young quarterback. Maybe we can get a quick stop, get the ball around midfield, go down and get a quick score, and then that puts us ahead of schedule. We get the ball first coming out of the half. Maybe we got a chance to get a little separation early in the third quarter. I was like, hey, that's the best-case scenario. Well, then they throw a little uh, swing pass out there in the, in the flats, and uh, it's called back for illegal formation. So right out of the gate, we got them behind the chains. I'm thinking, okay, this is good. First and 15 makes them somewhat predictable as a play caller. But here's what happens. <laughs> uh, so Thompson guns, runs for six, and the next thing you know, they gash us for 33, all the way down to the Mississippi State 41. So two official plays in the books offensively for them. They're already in plus territory. They go back to Thompson for four. They throw a pass incomplete, brings up a big third and six. He got a chance for us to get off the field here. They run Taj Brooks for eight, and now it's first and 10 at the 29. And then from there, it seemed like we really struggled to fit gaps. Not just on this drive, but, you know, pretty – we had some moments, but it looked like – and maybe it's without – does Jaden Crumbity matter that much? Maybe he does. You know, I felt like, okay, Crumbity is a big loss, probably the most significant on defense. But with Pickering and Young – I think we'll be okay. Now, if they get into our depth a little bit, it could be an issue. But I felt like, hey, we've got we got three quality guys um, that could be starters, that have starting experience under their belt on the interior, but that, that didn't help us. Brooks then goes for 10, and then back to Brooks again, 19 for the touchdown. And I was thinking, okay, we'll adjust. We'll adjust. We'll figure this out. But great opening drive by Texas Tech. And, again, they came out and punched us in the mouth, playing very physical football. Did not complete a pass on this possession because the one completion on first down was nullified due to the illegal formation penalty. And then the only other pass they threw was incomplete. Doesn't matter how young your quarterback is when you got a good running game, right? But uh, Donovan Smith actually had a pretty good ball game. Uh, for Texas Tech, and and that I thought that was the difference in the ball game. To be honest with you, I thought his play, especially in the third quarter, uh, really was the, the separator for them. All right, so we get the ball on our twenty-five to open, and we're incomplete to Makai Polk, and it looked that should have been a harbinger of things to come. It looked like he was open. I don't know what happened between he and Will. Maybe we're a little bit too gassed up, but we're incomplete there. Well, they're dropping a lot in coverage, so we like to run the football. Dylan Johnson, who actually was a bit of a bright spot for Mississippi State, he runs for nine, brings up a third and one. We go back to DJ for four, moves the chains, first and ten now at our 38. DJ again with seven. And so you're thinking, well, goodness, if we're going to run with this success, you know, we've got a chance in this, you know, to really even this thing up pretty quickly. We hit Austin Williams on, um, on second and three for 11. Gets us across midfield to the Texas Tech 44. And you're thinking, all right, this is fixing to be a shootout. We're fixing to go get some things together. Well, that's not what happens. 
Uh, DJ, then we, we get – there's some miscommunication there, and this is one of those offensive line failures. This play was kind of doomed from the start, and DJ gets hit in the backfield for a loss of four yards. Now we're behind the chains. Second 14, we go to, to Tulu, and coming out of his break, he slips. Don't know if he was tangled up with a defender. Uh, don't know if, if maybe just the turf was a little bit damp. We never did get that rain they were promised in the second half, but we did get rain – most of the day on Memphis, but it was, um, it was it was kind of a drizzle, more so than a rain. But we're incomplete, brings up third and 14. Then we go back to Tulu, and they get a, a hand on there. Aiden Fry breaks it up. And th- this is one of the things, too, we talk about giving Texas Tech credit. They had seven pass breakups in the ballgame. Seven. That's a lot. Now, granted, we throw the football a lot, but it goes to show you they were doing a pretty good job in coverage there. Arthur Trafford comes on, and who has been getting better by the week? 40-yard punt downed at the Texas Tech eight-yard line. So you're thinking, okay, we're down seven. Let's go get a stop. Maybe we can get some advantageous field position here. And we've had some time on the sidelines, kind of drawing some things up. Maybe we can slow the running game down. Wrong. Wrong. Tech takes over at their eight. Thompson runs for a one-yard gain. Pretty good play there by Nathaniel Watson and Cam Young. Then Donovan Smith on a design quarterback keeper. It's basically a quarterback draw. He drops back to pass and takes off right up the middle for 11 yards. Out to the 20 now. First and 10, they go back to Thompson, who runs for 11. And it just seemed like they were getting, you know, 10, 11, 12 yards a carry against us. And, again, some of that's because Crumberty's not there. But, you know, we got Nathaniel Watson. We got Jed Johnson. You know, somebody's got to plug a gap there. Uh, Sidarek Thompson then runs for two. Then it's incomplete to Kalen Geiger. And, again, think about this. You know, the first three passes this guy throws, you know, there's no consequence. There's no appreciable gain on any of this. Brings up a third and eight. We got a chance to get off the field. We go zone here, and we basically lose the player here. Miles Price with 12 yards. And at that point, it's kind of like, you know, we don't seem to have an answer for this. And this this is a pretty pedestrian offense, especially with a younger quarterback in there. But he makes a play. Now it's first and 10 at their 45. They go back to Brooks, who runs for 11. Back to Brooks again for 12. And again, it's just like double-digit gains every single play. DeMonte Russell gets banged up on the play. He does return. And this was a very physical ball game. We had several players had to be helped from the field, and uh, some of those guys are going to be out for some significant time. Uh, but DeMonte Russell did return and play in the ball game. But, um, yeah, I thought he ran around, looked pretty good out there at times. And uh, we need him to have a big year for us next year. Right, but now it's first and 10 at our 32. And, again, come back to Miles Price, 12 yards, Corey Ellington on the tackle. Ellington, uh, you know, had to basically get out there and play a ton of reps. Doesn't have a lot of experience. They do think he's going to be a good player for us. First and 10, uh, Taj Brooks runs for six. Now it's second and four at our 14. Thompson then goes for 10, but it's nullified on a holding call. And it was an obvious holding call. They complained, and of course fans always do, but the uh, you know, the receiver out there on the perimeter held, and it was a pretty easy call for the official. Makes it second and 12, and then Donovan Smith runs for seven, uh, down to the 15. And then uh, third and five, they give it to Xavier White, the third running back of the, of the game. He goes for two. They can't do much with it. Jevin Banks with a stop there. Fourth and three, they, they make the field goal. So now it's a 10 nothing ball game. And, and it, even though it felt like, you know what, it's 10 nothing, but we've been here before. We'll be okay. Let's We'll figure some things out. Zach Arnett, and then we'll start getting some stops. We'll get the offense rolling. 
you know, with three minutes to go in the quarter, we'd had the ball one time. They had eaten up this first quarter and shortened the game on us a little bit. They're up two possessions already, and the first quarter is nearly gone. We get the ball back again on the touchback here, and uh, we're complete to two Lou for 10. We go back to Makai Polk for 18. So now you think, okay, now we've woken up a little bit. Now, we, now we've got some things figured out. Let's go down here and get back in this ball game. Will's incomplete to Caleb Ducking for nine, which brings up a second one at the Texas Tech 38. Woody runs for a yard, moves to James, gives us first and 10 at third 37. Uh, we're complete to Wiley for a one-yard loss, and Ra-Ra completely misses the block here. Uh, he's the one guy that's got to get a block. He doesn't get it, and Wiley gets blown up basically at the point of the reception. We're incomplete to Ra-Ra, and then coming up on third and 11, Will gets flushed, rolls to his right, he and Woody really on the same page here. Woody basically runs to space. Will puts it on him, and it's 18 yards for a first down. And that runs out the quarter. But it still felt like, okay, this is a drive where we start putting this thing together. And we do end up finishing this drive, thankfully. On first and 10, we're incomplete to DJ. Second and 10, we go back to Polk for three. Gets it to the 17. Third and seven, arguably the best throw of the game. Great throw, great catch. And this is where you're beginning to see Ra-Ra Thomas and Will Rogers kind of develop some chemistry between each other. It's a 17-yard touchdown pass. It's a back shoulder throw. The defender is draped all over Ra-Ra. It was incredible coverage. But the ball placement and the catch were even better. Touchdown for Mississippi State. Nolan McCord bangs the extra point through. It's 10-7, and now you're thinking, all right, let's just, let's just go get a stop. We figured it out offensively. If we can just get a stop or two, we'll get this thing rolling and maybe have a lead at the half and then get the ball coming out. We can put this game away. And that, that's how it felt at this point. And what do we do? We go out and get the stop. So now I think if you guys were like me, you're thinking, okay, we're okay now. We're okay. We'll figure it out. We're awake. We'll get it going. Geiger runs for a four-yard gain. They go back to Brooks, and we bang him for a two-yard loss. Nathan Pickering flashes through there. And Emmanuel Forbes, who I thought was outstanding, had a hand in that tackle. It's third and eight. So rather than sit back and let them kind of dictate terms, we bring Nathaniel Watson off the blind side and uh, basically just overwhelmed him. I mean, he absolutely blew by the tackle. It's a sack. Brings up a fourth and 14. We're thinking, you know what, hey, three and out, let's go. Austin McNamara booms a 61-yard punt. The ball gets over the you – know, Jaden Wally has to retreat there. We do get an eight-yard return out of it. Uh, but what an effort, you know, by the punter to, to kind of flip the field. You get a three and out, and you're basically, you know, at your own 21-yard line, and uh, Jaden Wally receives the punt at, at our 18. What a difference special teams can make, right? But we get the ball here, and we're thinking, okay, we're good to go. First and 10 at our 26. Will Rogers runs for no yards here. And that's one thing. And, I, again, I don't know what they're coaching Will to do. I don't like the sliding stuff. Let's just dive forward or something. I mean, if we're giving ourselves up, that's fine. But I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the sliding. And, again, you know, I, I don't know what Mike Leach is coaching him to do, so I'm not going to second-guess that. But, you know, the slide thing doesn't always work for us. Second 10, DJ runs for eight. Brings up a very manageable third and two. And – um we get a one-yard gain, and we're short. And uh, Dollar Bill injured on the play. Now, I haven't had any official word, but I do know he was in a protective boot the rest of the ball game. There was, there was some talk about him possibly breaking a leg or an ankle. 
so he's a guy that we don't expect to be back. And um, you know, Dollar Bill is a guy, too, that uh, has had some moments this year. Hopefully he can have some better moments next year. But uh, Tyree Wilson there, who I thought was outstanding for Texas Tech, is the one that makes the play there. And, and part of that is, you know, Dollar Bill getting going down on the play. You know? But anyway, we go fourth and one, we're going to go, right? They jump, and they call us for an illegal snap. And, uh, again, I haven't gone back and watched the game. I didn't see any movement, even when they showed the replay on TV. It didn't appear there to be – I didn't see it. Maybe you guys saw something differently. But, again, it's, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity for us. you first down there, you never know what's going to happen, right? Archer Trafford comes in. Great job. Not, a, not the most beautiful punt here. He gets a good roll on it, though. But it ends up being a 53-yard punt down to the Texas Tech 17. So, you know, if, if we're, we're playing the field position game here, that's a plus for us. They hit a big shot against us. We came back, pinned them back inside the 20. And, again, we're thinking, okay, let's just go make something happen here. And, I, and this is a drive here. I, I, you're never going to convince me. You're not going to talk me out of my opinion on this drive. We got, we got screwed. And, and people say, oh, you know, Steve. Now, you, you can go be the cool, uh, in a, a, you know, replay review hipster somewhere else. Uh, so, Derek Thompson runs for one-yard gain. Smith then complete to Jerron Bradley for 12. So, they're out and running again. Corey Owenson with another tackle. Uh, Xavier Wright runs for a three-yard gain, gets it out to the Texas Tech three. Then Donovan Smith complete to Kalen Geiger again for six, brings up third and one. And again, I go back to Emmanuel Forbes making a great play on this to keep the guy short of the sticks. Emmanuel Forbes is an outstanding tackler. And I'll be honest with you, seeing how thin he was coming out of high school, I just didn't think he would be as physical as he is. The guy's going to be an NFL player. I mean, he's a year away. And he'll be the guy next year that everybody's worrying about if he's going to opt out of the ball game. Manuel Forbes is a dude. All right, Taj Brooks and runs for four yards. Deshaun Page makes a tackle there, but it's first down. We call timeout to kind of settle defense here. 6.50 to go in the half. Incomplete to Miles Price. Jet Johnson actually got a hand up there in the passing lane and tips it. And great job by Jet. Good awareness there. A second and 10, Taj Brooks runs for no gain. Sherman Timms with a nice play there. Brings up a third and 10. We're thinking, okay, we're about to get off the field. If I remember correctly, this was the um, – maybe no, nah, that wasn't that wasn't a play. Uh, but anyway, so they go at Trey Cleveland, who makes the catch in front of DeCamerion Richardson, 18 yards there for the first down. And to be honest with you, there were a couple times where they got DeCam on double moves and got a guy behind him and just couldn't get the football to the guy. So that's, that's your Martin Emerson factor right there. Okay, Donovan Smith, they, this, is what the, this is the play I'm talking about here. All right, so – Fred Peters gets downhill on Donovan Smith, who is flushed by the Bulldog pass rush, and he rolls to his left. Fred Peters hits him in his arm. He hasn't even drawn back yet. He is not in his throwing motion yet. He is, he's not even really begun to pull his arm back to cock his arm to throw it. So he pulls back. Fred Peters hits him. The ball rolls loose. We recover it. They say it's a fumble. Then they go back and interview, and we're sitting there in the press box saying, oh, there's no way. There's no way. They say, oh, his hand went forward. It wasn't a a deliberate attempt to throw the football. His hand went forward because of the fact Fred Peters hit him in his throwing arm. This was a bad review. The -the on-the-field call was correct. There's no question about it. 
I will never be convinced otherwise. And I love, I love that there's always these one or two guys on Twipster. But Steve, no, but you. It was a fumble. It was absolutely a fumble. Now, it didn't come back to hurt us. But guys, that's a fumble. Now, in the grand scheme of things, 34-7 ball game, the one play didn't make a difference. But at this point in the ball game, that was a huge play. Huge. All right, so they get the ball back. It is a gift. They run for six yards. Fred with a tackle. Donovan Smith still an incomplete. The entire suite in his face forced an early throw. Brings up a fourth and four. They go for it. And again, they swing it to Kalen Geiger, short of the, of the line to gain. And Emmanuel Forbes, again, comes up, very physical player, blows him up, two yards short of the stick, so we get a stop. Now we got the ball back at 420. This is when we get – this is the sack. This is the uh, – this is the one-yard loss where Will is flush and just slides short of the line. And so that's the only sack they get on us in the first half. Will Rogers then incomplete to Jaden Wiley, broken up by Dadrigan Taylor Demerson. I thought Jaden was going to make this catch. I, I didn't see a hand in there. Maybe there was. But I, I bet you Jaden Wiley will tell you, yeah, I probably should have caught that one. We call timeout. We go to Austin Williams. It's incomplete. And uh, now we got a punt again. Archer Trafford in 39-yard punt. They get a decent return. And this is, again, we've got all the stuff that we can kind of get handled here. Interesting. Okay, so first and 10 at their 36. Priceton runs for 13. Taj Brooks for seven, makes it second and three on our side of the field at the 44. Run for a two-yard gain. Corey Ellington with the tackle there. Taj Brooks and runs for nine to move the change. Makes it first and 10. There is a false start penalty on them. Makes it first and 15 at 38. We're just trying to get into the half, right? Donovan Smith then complete for two-yard loss. And again, a nice play by DeMonte Russell. He basically, it's, it's kind of a quick hitter there where they just kind of wall off the defensive end and they get the little quick hitter out to the receiver. Basically, a little bit of a curl pattern there, but uh, DeMonte blows it up. Knocks, knocks the everybody down. It's a great physical play. And then the incomplete, uh, Tyrus Wheats all over this, and uh, they review this. And here's the thing that I – and we had this discussion in the, in the press box, and I, I, I died on this hill alone, and I'm okay with that. I don't know for sure if the ball made it to the line of scrimmage. But if it did not, this should have been intentional grounding. They say, oh, we had a receiver in the area. The guy's not – it's a run play. The receiver out there is locked up. He thinks the quarterback is scrambling. He is an eligible receiver, but he is no longer acting as a receiver. He is engaged with his back to the play. And Tyrus Wheat is all over Donovan Smith, and he throws the ball away. By the spirit of the rule of intentional grounding, that's exactly what he did. It was intentional grounding. Now, if he's outside the pocket and the ball gets to the line of scrimmage, then you know that's those are the qualifiers, right? I don't know that this ball made it to the line of scrimmage. And when they said they were going to review it, I thought that's what they were reviewing. Then they say, oh, they're reviewing to see if his knee was down. Well, it wasn't even close. But again, it doesn't come back to hurt us. It's just one of those silly things. You know, and how do you judge intent? Well, okay, you've got a defensive lineman barreling, barreling down on a quarterback. He has no receiver in the area that is attempting to make a catch. It, this is not a deliberate attempt to complete the football. And so, again, if the ball makes a pass line of scrimmage, then my whole line of thinking is, is, is wrong. But the reality of it is that's what he was doing. 
Donovan Smith then incomplete to Miles Price. And uh, 27-yard punt, Austin McNamara hangs it up there. And then Osteady Eddie, Austin Williams, love the guy to death, man. But uh, I don't know that he touched it. I know some of you guys on uh, social media said that he didn't. But uh, either way, we got to step up and make a catch there. Yeah, I know there was a guy in his face. And, of course, I saw Terry McCauley said that it should have been a penalty on Texas Tech. I don't know if that's true or not. I know this. I know we got to catch a football. I don't know where their guys are. I don't know what his intentions were. I don't know what he was saying. I don't know if he interfered with the catch or not. But the bottom line is Austin Williams will tell you he's got to make that catch. Well, he muffs it. They get the ball back at the 13. At this point, I'm thinking they're going to score and this game's going to be over. Well, good job on our defense that had gotten back-to-back stops. They hold them to a field goal here. And uh, it never really felt like the defense had any quit in them at this point. Donovan Smith then completes the Kalen Geiger. Then Taj Brooks rushed for six to the MSU eight. They call timeout, 21 seconds to go in the half. And then it's incomplete uh, to Mason Tharp. And that was just basically a wing in the prayer because Tyrus Wheat comes clean there and he just throws the ball up. Uh, Jonathan Garibay then makes a field goal. And it's a 13-7 ball game, but we're still within a score. That's, that's what I'm thinking here. Okay, it, disaster has been averted. We're still within a score. We go out and score the first possession of the third quarter. We got the lead. We're still a play away. As bad as we played, we're a play away from the lead. That's how it felt. Well, we get 13 seconds to work with. We complete the pass to Jade Welly to give us 10. We call timeout one second to go. And I, I, I don't know why we just didn't get in the half there, but uh, we run the tunnel screen to Tulu for eight, and that runs out the clock. So that's your halftime score, 13-7. And at this point, it felt like, hey, we're going to be okay. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. 
That's what Decovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. All right, let's get into the second half here. This is where things really fell apart for us. We talk about halftime adjustments. You know, earlier in the year, bad third quarters really plagued Mississippi State. That reared its ugly head again this time. State gets a touchback. I guess I guess that's not true. Maybe yeah. Well, either way, we start. It says we start the ball at the twenty because Jaquavius Marks runs the return out to the twenty. This is one of those that. Um, I don't know why we took Tulu out, his return guy, but I thought Marks ran really hard. I think he is probably going to be a threat in the return game. There have been a couple times this year where he's been maybe a block away for running one back. But here we go. We set up at the 20. We'll complete to Makai for three. Then we go to Jaden Wally for nine. It's a first down. He thinks, okay, maybe we've got some rhythm here. We're complete to Makai for eight. Brings up a second and two. We're already out to the 40. Very manageable second and two. Then we're incomplete to Jaden Wally. Will Rogers then incomplete to Dylan Johnson, broken up uh, by Tyree Wilson. This was basically a design swing pass to get him out in space. And there was nothing there. Tyree Wilson saw the play. Is basically in Dylan's face. Even if he catches it, it's probably going to be a negligible gain, possibly even a loss here. And so it's fourth and two. So this is one of those where you maybe question the play design, maybe you question the play call, but you certainly question the throw. Just It wasn't there, and we threw it out there, didn't make a play. Archer Trafford then, 43-yard punt inside the Texas Tech 20. They try to return it. It's a two-yard loss. Now it's down to the 15-yard line. <clears throat> so you feel like, okay, we had a couple things going there, and then we kind of self-inflicted our own issue. And if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the big drops from Jaden Wilding on that second and two play. We had a chance to, to really make some things happen, get into plus territory, take the lead. We don't. This seems somewhat self-inflicted, but let's not negate the effort there by Tyree Wilson. Pretty good play recognition by him. He ended up being the Texas Tech defensive player of the game. Texas Tech starts – if they're 17, and this is when things really got wor- got worrisome for us. They run for two, then it's incomplete. Third and eight, and, you know, it's a chance for us again to kind of get off the field here. We get the stop. Uh, quarterback Curry by Corey Ellington there. Fourth and eight, they punt, and this is when the circus seemed to come to town here, right? They punt. Jaden Wiley gets it and gets a decent return and then fumbles. They get on it. Initially, they re- they review they, they call out a fumble, 
recovered by Texas Tech. They review it, and I give some of the guys in the press box credit. I believe Robbie Falk was the first to say it. I thought his knee was down at the catch. They review it. His knee was down. And there's also a holding call on Mississippi State during the kick. That's on, called on Asias Furge. So we get the ball back after the uh, holding call is assessed. Makes it first and 10 Mississippi State football at the 37. And it felt like we had dodged a bullet here. And again, a chance for us to go make a play. We're incomplete to Jaden Wally. Another pass breakup by Daedrian and Taylor Demerson. We're complete to Polk for 11. Now we're right at midfield. And again, we're a play away. We're a play away from taking the lead. Despite the fact that we have played horribly, got a chance to take a lead here. And it kind of felt like if we could ever get a lead, the way the defense was now beginning to play, you got a chance. Three out of the last four Texas Tech drives were stops. And the one that wasn't was a field goal after the muff punt. So defensively, we're actually starting to play pretty well. Then it's a false start on Nick Jones. Uh, backs us up, makes it first and 15 at the state 43. We go right to Rara, who fights for the first down. Now it's first and 10 at their 42, and then we don't gain a single yard the rest of the drive. Very disappointing effort here. Incomplete to, to Woody Marks. Incomplete to Jaden Wally. Incomplete to Makai Polk. And Rashad Williams credited with the pass break up there. So we have to punt again. Archer Trafford then, again, one of his better games as a Bulldog. A 37-yard punt that is down at the Texas Tech 5. They did a great job, too, of uh, faking the catch to hopefully let the ball go into the end zone. This one didn't. And, again, we've got them backed up and think, okay, they got 95 yards to go. Let's get a stop, get some good field position, and go take the lead. Well, they remove all hope of that pretty quick. Despite the fact they're backed up, they run a play-action pass. Travis Koontz with a 39-yard reception over to Camryon Richardson. And again, I really thought they exploited DCAM in this ball game. They tried to get matchups and get him in man-to-man coverage. And the way they're running the football, you almost had to leave your corners on an island out there and really sell out to stop the run. Well, that's what we're doing here. And they, they get us. They win the chess match. Then it's a run for three yards. It's out to their 47. And then next thing you know, it's a 52-yard catch to Jerron Bradley again against DCAM. DCAM doesn't quit on the play makes a tackle at the one, and then Donovan Smith runs on the quarterback keeper to make it a 20-7 ball game. Really disappointing. Really disappointing. Kick return from uh, Woody, 15 yards out to the state, 24. Demonte Russell injured on the play. Brings up a first and 10 at our 24, and it really felt like <laughs> we were in trouble. We had to mount something. There's plenty of time left. I mean, there's still 24 minutes of football left to play. So we can still climb back in this. And, you know, the defense, I think, was beginning to wear down just a little bit. Lack of depth and the fact they've been on the, on the field so much. But all is not lost yet. We're complete to DJ for 17 yards and a great effort by him to really fight out there and get a first down. First and 10 at our 41. We go to Jameer Calvin for one. Back to DJ for three. Brings up a big third down. We find Austin Williams for 10. Now it's a first and 10 at their 45. A chance to climb back into this. We're complete to Makai Polk for five. Brings up a very manageable second five. And then there is a pass interference on DeMarcus Fields. Uh, Rara Thomas was basically held coming out of his break there. Gives us a first and 10 at their 25. We're thinking, okay, let's go make something happen. We give it to DJ. Brings up a manageable second five. 
And then this, in many respects, I feel like this sequence basically ended the ball game. Despite how much time was left, I thought this was the decisive drive of the ball game. We're incomplete to Rai Rai, brings up a third and five, and we give up back-to-back sacks. A loss of 11, a loss of nine. Tyree Wilson, back-to-back sacks, gives them the ball at their 31. But more importantly, it, can, it preserves a 13-point lead. I thought this was the ball game. I really do. If we score here, who knows what we're talking about today? But the momentum in the ball game clearly shifted in their direction. They, they had it. We were kind of sparring with them a little bit, kind of getting back into it. And then they make a couple big decisive defensive plays that end the whole thing for us. And then they remove all doubt here on this next drive. The subsequent drive ended up being the knockout punch from Mississippi State. Kalen Geiger on the end of round runs for seven. Emmanuel Forbes runs him out of bounds there. Smith goes back to Geiger for three, uh, converts the uh, first down. Smith then completed J.J. Sparkman for 15 for a first down. Uh, Taj Brooks runs for three yards. Nathan Pickering down on a play. He did return. Second seven at our 32. Donovan Smith then runs for 17 yards. And at this point, it just seemed to be academic. False start on them brings up a first and 15. Kalen Geiger runs another end around for seven. Emmanuel Forbes chases him out of bounds. Miles Priston runs for 11, makes it first and goal to two, but there is a holding call which backs it up, makes it second and 16 from our 21. Brooks runs for seven, and then Donovan Smith basically throws the ball up for grabs, and it's J.J. Sparkman who comes down with it, 14 yards for the touchdown, with two seconds to go in the quarter. The extra point is good. It is now 27 to seven. The game is over. It is just now a matter of what the final score is going to be. We put together a decent drive here, but again, it stalls out. State takes over at, uh, at the 28 after the return, and then Woody runs for six, brings up a second and four. Rodgers incomplete to Woody. Quarterback hurried by Tyree Wilson, who was everywhere. Will Rodgers then complete to Austin Williams for 14. And then there is an unnecessary roughness call on Nick Jones after the play. Just one of those things where a couple guys remain engaged. Nick is the guy that ends up winning the encounter and is flagged. Thought it was the right call. And at this point, it didn't really matter. But now it's first and 10 at our 33. So even though we get the first down, we actually lose a yard on the net the net gain after the penalty is assessed. We go to Woody Marks for five, makes it second and five at our 38. We're incomplete to Wally. And again, a pass breakup by Dadrian Taylor-Demerson, who, who was outstanding. Will Rogers complete to Makai Polk for nine on third down to move the chains. Makes it first and 10 out near midfield. And then, again, things just kind of go off kilter for us. We're incomplete to Rufus Harvey. Rufus slips and falls there. He's open there. Uh, Again, not sure if it's a turf, not sure if there was just a problem, uh, you know, getting in and out of a break there. But Rufus stumbles and the ball falls incomplete. Second and ten, we're complete to Woody Marks for seven. Brings up a manageable third and three. We decide to run the fade uh, to Rufus Harvey here. Uh, Rufus is uh, more quick than fast. But he's able to get a release here, and it looked like he was open. But there was still a two-high safety back in the back there. And I don't know if Wildes didn't read it right. And there were a couple times that we we kind of maybe toyed with danger here a little bit. This time it, it hurts us. Eric Monroe picks the ball off at their 15. Texas Tech puts together a decent drive here. And uh, their final score of the game, Taj Brooks runs for five. Complete to Miles Price for 48. Corey Owington runs him down, makes a tackle. Makes it first and 10 at our 32. Donovan Smith then incomplete to Miles Price. Back to Xavier White for 19 yards, down to the MSU 13-yard line. 
for a first down. First and 10, Xavier White runs for four. They go back to Thompson, who hadn't run the ball a whole lot in the second half, so you knew he was fresh. Seven yards, one yard, one yard, touchdown. Extra point is good, and then we get a touchback out of it. It is 34-7, to and now it's just a matter of pride. You know, are we going to get out there and, and go score? I mean, we're not going to win the ball game, but can we go out there and put some things together on offense? Rodgers completes Austin Williams for 11, makes it first and 10 at our 36. Then Dylan Johnson, a 30-yard gain here, the best, one of the better runs of the season. I thought Dylan Johnson really ran the football hard. He and Woody Marks both, you know, I thought they both played well. Don't know that um, they got enough support around them at the time. Last night that our receivers really played poorly. Uh, but Dylan runs for 30, gets it down to the Texas Tech 34, and I commend Dylan Johnson for playing hard. He did not quit, that's for sure. DJ then goes for two, and then Will is sacked for a 10-yard loss. Brings up a third and eight, and then we are complete to Dylan Johnson, and he fumbles at their 36. They recover, and it was just kind of enigmatic of the night. We get another stop here. Interesting how this all works, right? Donovan Smith complete for two yards to Travis Coons. Xavier White runs for a one-yard gain. Donovan Smith, they take a shot down the field to Dalton Rigdon. Jay Jemison gets a hand in there, uh, breaks the pass up. It looked like it was complete, and he rakes it out there. And then it's a 60-yard punt that rolls dead at the MSU one-yard line. Austin McNamara, again, we talk about being sound in the kicking game. Texas Tech certainly was. All right, we have a chance now to, get, to try to get, uh, you know, a little bit of pride here. Put together a drive. Jaquavius Marks runs for one. We go back to Woody on a swing pass for eight out to the MSU 10. Brings up a third and one. Woody goes for a nine-yard gain to move the chains. First and 10 from our 19 were incomplete. And uh, basically – Kind of threw this ball into no man's land, but uh, Will kind of impeded in his effort to throw the football there. We find Austin Williams for 28 yards out to the state, 47. Incomplete to Woody. We go back to Woody on second 10 for a two-yard gain, and then Will Rogers runs for a four-yard gain, gets out of bounds across midfield, brings up a fourth and four. We uh, complete the passage, Amir Calvin. I thought he was short initially. They do give him the first down. Makes it first and 10 at their 43. We go back to Calvin for a one-yard loss. We call timeout with under a minute to go. We're just trying to go get a score here. Will Rogers then complete to Calvin for six. Brings up a third and five. We find Caleb Ducking for eight. Moves the chains. And then uh, we basically are incomplete to Jaquavius Marks. And, uh, you know, the ball was incomplete a couple seconds before the clock ran out. But it it was really academic. It didn't really matter. I was ready to get out of there. I know many of you guys were as well. Let's look at some numbers here. Donovan Smith was named the Liberty Bowl's most outstanding player. He's 15 of 28 for 252 yards, a touchdown and a sack. I thought he was the difference in the ballgame, even though he had less than 50% completion percentage, or right at 50% completion percentage. Uh, he made some big-time throws when they had to. and When it was time to separate in the third quarter, he was the linchpin behind that. Uh, Taj Brooks runs for 107 yards. There haven't been a lot of 100-yard rushers against Mississippi State this year. Uh, So that's a pretty big accomplishment. 16 attempts there and just one negative run has the one touchdown. Did three rushing touchdowns on the night. Taj Brooks, uh, Sidarek Thompson, and Donovan Smith all uh, find the end zone. 5.9 yards a carry. Didn't think we'd see that. They ran for 260. In the first quarter, I think they ran for like 120 yards or 140. I wasn't sure they'd get that in the entire ballgame. They got it in the first quarter. Again, they came out, punched us in the mouth. Not a big night by the Texas Tech receiving core. Kind of spread it around a little bit. 
uh, just 15 receptions, but 252 yards. They hit a couple of big plays, obviously. I mean, Jerron Bradley uh, had back-to-back big big catches against DeCam. Miles Price, more of a possession guy, but he, uh, he had a couple of big catches too, one for 48 yards. Look at the Mississippi State side of things on offense. Uh, Will Rogers, 32 of 53 for 290 yards, a touchdown interception, four sacks, and again, one, one of those in the first half. Three of those in the second, and uh, that decisive drive there in the third quarter when we're trying to climb back in it back-to-back by Tyree Wilson. Just, you know, just not a great night for Will. I didn't. Th- I won't sit here and say that he played poorly, but he didn't play as well as he has played. And uh, there were times he and the receivers were on the wrong page, and I'm sure Will will take uh, the blame for most of that, but it wasn't all him. He was also plagued by some drops. Uh, Dylan Johnson... Nine carries for 62 yards, a long of 30. Ran for 6.9 yards a carry. Woody Marks, 5 of 19 for just under 4 yards a carry. Austin Williams, your leading receiver, 5 grabs, 74 yards. Makai Polk, 7 for 57. And set a new Mississippi State record. And uh, both he has both catches and yards in school history. Woody Marks, 4 of 38. Rara Thomas, 2 for 32. And the touchdown. Uh, but, you know, again, we moved the ball around a little bit here. And... Um, just don't do much with it. Colin Schooler leads them in tackling uh, nine tackles, a, t- a couple TFLs and a sack. Rico Jeffers had five tackles. Rashad Williams with five. Tyree Wilson, four. But those two big sacks and then that great pass breakup uh, on DJ on that possession play proved to be very impactful in the ballgame. On the defensive side for Mississippi State, uh, Fred Peters, your leading tackler, he was named the most outstanding Mississippi State defender for the ballgame. Uh, he's from my high school, Columbia High School. I was very proud to vote for him. 12 tackles on the night for Fred. He also had a pass breakup that should have been ruled a fumble. And then a quarterback hurry. Corey Ellington in his first collegiate start, eight tackles for him. And the staff has been pretty high on him. We, we've expected him to kind of come on. Didn't expect him to play as much this year, uh, but he has. Emmanuel Forbes, we talk about what a physical tackler he is. Seven tackles on the night, six of those solo. One of those a TFL. Cam Young, seven tackles there in the middle. Uh, Nathaniel Watson, six. DeCam had four, and unfortunately, uh, most of those are when he has been beat on a play and he's in a chase position, having to run people down. Uh, Colin Duncan, three tackles. And I really think that Texas Tech did a good job kind of matching up Colin Duncan. And there were times they had guys open and just couldn't get to him. Colin Duncan's a great young man, but I think at times he struggles to play at this level uh, in the SEC. There was a big missed tackle on a, a very huge play that would have been a negative play that ended up being a first down for them. Uh, the fact that we have a lack of depth and safety is exactly why we're working the transfer portal right now to find some of those guys. Uh, but outside of that, it was uh, you know pretty much a mixed bag. You know, Jed Johnson's a guy that um, you know has to have a big game for Mississippi State to have uh, big games on defense, and uh, he has just a couple tackles and then the one pass breakup. That's when he gets a hand up there um, and breaks a pass up. But again, not a great night. On any side of the football, arguably the uh, the MVP of the game for Mississippi State, punter Archer Trafford. Five punts, 212 yards, 42.4 average, along a 53. Four of his 50 were downed inside the 20, and he had one punt of over 50-plus. Maybe we should have named him most outstanding player for Mississippi State. And that's tough when you look at this and say, you know what, hey, you know, maybe the best player is your punter. Just nothing to feel good about. Honestly, nothing to feel good about. It's hard to find any positives in this ballgame. I mean, you can look at it and say, well, you know, at least it didn't boil down to a missed field goal or something like that. You know, I mean, the reality of it is is that Mississippi State never really got off the bus 
Texas Tech was clearly the most motivated and prepared team in this ballgame, and it showed in the final score. I think we can all agree with that. Now, I don't think you can – while it is the final statement of the 2021 season, I don't think you can look at the season and say, well, this season was a failure. No, it, it wasn't a failure. Let's take a deep breath here and kind of acknowledge the fact, yeah, we did take a step forward. We didn't end the season on the high note like we expected. Remember last year we we beat Missouri and then we win the ball game. We're like, okay, we're, we're turning in the right direction. And so now people begin to wonder, where are we as a program? You know, we lose the battle for the Golden Egg. And, again, I, I as much as I hate losing to those guys, they were a better team than us this year. So you can kind of reconcile that. But this deal here with Texas Tech, it leaves a very bitter taste in the mouth when I begin to consider, you know, this offseason. And uh, those guys got to get to work, and the next thing you know, we're going to be in spring practice. But, you know, it's a winning season, but it doesn't feel like it, right? I mean, if you're like me, it's like, okay, beginning of the year, we had, uh, we had four goals. Make some progress on offense, we did. Have a winning season, we did. Win the battle for the golden egg, we didn't. Win the bowl game, we didn't. We made the bowl game, obviously. We didn't win it. And so we checked a couple boxes this year, but not all the ones we should. We set the over-under on this show, beginning of the year at 7-5. and five. I really thought we'd get to 8. I thought we'd win the bowl game. I just thought, you know what, Mike Leach, air raid, difficult to prepare, you know. But, you know, you get a month of practices and, you know, maybe you can scheme some things up. But when you look at this Texas Tech team, and again, I go back to the opening segment, you got to give those guys a lot of credit. Sonny Cumbie and those guys had really no reason to get up and play as hard as they did, but they did. And it says a lot about them. And uh, it is very disappointing if you're a Mississippi State guy to feel like, you know what, they, they went out there and had the better game plan and had more motivation. And they had to pull it just basically from within themselves because everybody is kind of thinking about what's next rather than what's now. And so great job by that staff to keep those guys in a moment. And they, they beat us. They kicked our butts. There is absolutely no way around it. They absolutely killed us. And so, again, you tip your cap to them, and we go back to the drawing board and look to get better. Look to get better. That's what it all boils down to. Let me encourage you again. Renew your season tickets. We need you here. We do. These players need you. The program needs you. We want a program to be proud of. we got to do our part. All right, time for today's top 10 list, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. You know Blair Chandler. He's a good friend of mine. He's a good friend of yours. It's difficult getting a mortgage approved. For some of you guys, you think, well, you know, I've got good credit. There's just so much to this. It's a very complicated process. It's one of those things that really gets you fired up at times. It's like, you know, do I need a note from a mother, a pint of blood, whatever. And uh, let let me encourage you to deal with Blair. He will take a lot of the stress and anxiety out of that very complicated process. It's a guy that's been in the loan business for 21 years. Top 1% close ratio in the company, works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted uh, best, best mortgage lender in America. Pretty cool thing. So if you're a Boneyard listener, whether no matter you cheer for Mississippi State or not, if you mention to Blair that you heard about him on the Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a five dollars to $600 value. A lot of demand out there these days because a lot of people are refinancing the home and getting their equity working for them. Maybe you're looking for the dream of home ownership to come true for you. Reach out to Blair Chandler at closewithblair.com. Better yet, let me just give you his phone number. And this is his personal cell number. You can call him. You can text him. 
601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. That's closeofblair.com. Get your mortgage lending questions handled by one Blair Chandler. All right, so it's time for today's top 10 list. And uh, I decided today, I've, I've been listening to a few different things. And, and here's the deal. Like in the 90s and early 2000s, we had a wave of incredible Latin American pop artists that had a lot of success in America. And uh, I wanted to kind of, you know, kind of pay tribute uh, to them. I like the Latin influence in music. There are some things they do percussion-wise that I think is very, very interesting. And when you, you think about some of the, the great Latin artists, they have a little bit of Latin vibe to everything. And uh, I think it's really cool. It's different. When you hear it, you know it. And, and I, I love the influence. I really, really do. And so I wanted to go back, and I almost didn't include this artist, but I felt that it would be incomplete if we didn't. And uh, we go, we're going to go back to an artist that actually made their debut in the 1960s. He played at Woodstock. Even Neil Sean from Journey, a young teenage Neil Sean, played with Santana. But Carlos Santana was basically on the scrap heap of music playing dive bars. He'd had a couple of albums that had, had been very unsuccessful. And Clive Davis, who was with Arista Records at the time, originally signed Santana back in the 60s. And so Clive went to see him play. It was some dive bar type deal. And there was not hardly anybody there. And so they put together this plan and they recorded the, the album Supernatural, which was originally titled Mumbo Jumbo, but they changed it to Supernatural. And basically they had Carlos Santana and a great group of songwriters that played these electric songs, and they took some of the biggest names in pop music and let them sing them, including Rob Thomas that sang Smooth, which is an incredible song. And again, I love the percussion on that. I could have gone in a lot of different directions here. I could have gone with Smooth, but I decided to go with The Game of Love off the Supernatural album featuring Michelle Branch, who I think is a fantastic singer. So number 10, The Game of Love, Santana featuring Michelle Branch. Number nine, I really like Jennifer Lopez. I mean, I really do. Uh, she is a bit of a cultural icon uh, in the United States. You know, she's been on American Idol. Uh, she has uh, been an actress and had some great success at the box office and also, too, uh, has a career in music. I mean, in many respects, you know, she is just one of those kind of a renaissance person. You know, she is – I won't say that she is one of these people that's overpowering in one genre, but she is really good at everything. Um, not to mention incredibly beautiful, but one of her big hits to kind of got her started was uh, Love Don't Cost a Thing. So that's your number nine song. Not really a lot of Latin influence in that one. She has some other songs that do, but uh, you can't put a list together of pop icons uh, from a Latin American uh, root without mentioning Jennifer Lopez. Number eight, and I remember, you know, when I was a young person and uh, the Miami Sound Machine hit the road, it's like they were everywhere on MTV, and it always seemed to be such a party. You know, even though a lot of their bigger hits were, were ballads, but when the Miami Sound Machine was on MTV, it seemed like every hour, you wanted to be in those videos. It's like they look they're having such a good time. And I think it says a lot about, you know, the culture. It's people that enjoy life. And so could have gone with a lot of different directions here, but I went with Gloria Stefan's uh, Get On Your Feet. And, of course, the Miami Sound Machine, you remember today, had a really bad wreck. And I remember Gloria Stefan, a lot of people wondered if she would ever tour again. I believe she had a broken back. And then I remember when she came with the album, Coming Out of the Dark, was basically kind of like her 
you know, return to music. And extremely, extremely talented singer, Gloria Stefan. Number seven, going back to the 80s. And you guys know, everybody loves Prince. I mean, and it's like I've heard people say, well, you know, no, everybody's got a favorite Prince song. And uh, Sheila Esposito was at one time the drummer for Prince and kind of a discovery for Prince and had some success. She's still out playing shows now. Uh, her biggest hit, obviously, is uh, The Glamorous Life. So that's your number seven song, The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. And again, an incredible drummer. Uh, number six, one of the best vibe songs, maybe the last several years. And, uh, you know, when uh, I think about some of these, you know, Latin performers, there are a lot of people that um, have a different... Uh, you know, perception, I guess. You know, it's like Mark Anthony is who we're talking about here. Mark Anthony, another guy that uh, has done a few different things. Very, very smooth in what he does. He was also one of the stars of the movie Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. If you've never seen that, it is a fantastic movie. I, I recommend it. It's probably one of my top 10 movies of all time. I love Denzel Washington. And I thought Mark Anthony's portrayal in that movie of the father was just fabulous fabulous i didn't i didn't know that he had it in him i mean i thought he was just you know hey just a singer no but mark anthony again some great latin percussion in this out on this song it's i need to know that's your number six song by mark anthony and mark is one of those guys too that um i think he is he has more of a i don't know if i would say maybe a global attraction but he kind of mixes in the Latin influence with some R&B type stuff. And so I, I think he appeals to maybe a broader audience than a lot of other artists do. But uh, Mark Anthony, an incredible singer. And uh, again, very good acting job there, Man on Fire. Number five, I don't know if you guys know this. Enrique Iglesias has uh, recently been named Billboard's uh, Latin American icon, like the best-selling Latin American artist in the Billboard history, which is incredible. Could have gone a lot of ways here, too. But I went with Balamos by Enrique Iglesias. I like the dance influence on this one. like the, the beat. And also, too, there's just some, some elements you know, from Latin music that I, I think make the song you know, almost infectious. Number four, and I don't know how you could go without the uh, Colombian superstar, Shakira. An incredible dancer, an incredible singer. And uh, really true to her roots, too. I mean, like, she made kind of Latin music mainstream for a lot of people. And a lot of people would go hips don't lie right here, but I didn't. I went with Whenever, Wherever by Shakira. I, again, I like again I like the vibe and the beat to this song. That's your number four song, Whenever, Wherever by Shakira. Number three, and I remember when this album dropped, this guy was everywhere, absolutely everywhere in the early to mid-'90s. And it's like he had hit after hit after hit after hit. Well, the one that really got it started for John Cicada was Just Another Day. Listen to that before we did the show. An incredible vocalist. But the beat on this one, the track behind him, is matches the vocal. It is an incredibly well-produced song. I absolutely love it. I can still listen to it in the car, and it still sounds new to me. Just Another Day from John Cicada. Number two, you can't put together a list of Latin superstars, pop superstars, without mentioning Selena. And uh, one of the saddest stories 
know, she was just really beginning to break out and uh, break into America. She was, uh, you know, I guess it's Teano music that she was a big part of and had had a lot of success uh, in Mexico and was just really beginning to become a superstar in the United States. And she was murdered by her manager. It's a terrible story. And, and you can, there's a movie about it, too. You can watch it. But uh, Selena had a huge following. I don't like to do a lot of ballads um, towards the top of the list, but I think the best Selena song is I Could Fall in Love. And um, that doesn't match a lot of the list, but it is a horrendous story. But I think it's important to keep her memory and music alive by us, but continuing to talk about it. So there you go. Uh, But number one, you know, I was a Menudo fan when I was a kid. I I was thinking, you know what? Hey, I'd like to be a Menudo. I mean, I couldn't be, obviously. Wasn't talented enough. Yeah, but Menudo is one of these kind of super groups where the members change. Like, as they would join this group, and then as they would achieve some notoriety, people would go on to solo careers. Well, clearly the most successful member of Menudo of all time is Ricky Martin. And if you're talking Ricky Martin, you got to go with the biggest hit, right? It's Living La Vida Loca. And the music in this band, this track, is just incredible. I absolutely love the song, and, and everybody did. You can say what you want to today, and I don't care what you think about Ricky Martin. That guy is incredibly handsome, incredibly talented, a great dancer, a great singer, and a great songwriter. But Living La Vida Loca is, to me, a timeless song. And I love the horns on this one. It's just There's just so much to like about this song. I hope you'll enjoy it today. So that's your top ten, our celebration of Latin American pop stars in America uh, really like this list, and I think this is one that uh, it would be a good drive-home list, to say the least. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let me know. We've got a couple, we're going to take a couple names off the list here in the next couple of days. We, we, we've got a pretty expensive list, but sometimes you guys send ideas that really intrigue me, so we'll jump you to the front. So if you got questions, reach out to me or Roy. You can find Roy on all forms of social media at dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Roy is the one responsible for putting these great lists on Spotify. And thank our good friend Izzy Mandelbaum for doing it on uh, Apple Music. It's really cool. It's amazing what this thing has become. So again, a fun list today. A very, very fun list. So whether you like rock music or pop music, or R&B or whatever, I think there's something on this list that works for you. I do. I just think there's so much good music to vibe to on this list. I really do. I get some intriguing ideas sometimes. People say, well, what do you think about, what about this one? You know, I think I never really thought about that one. But this one was all me. All right, so that's a top 10 list. And uh, again, thanks so much for your support of that over the years. It's been a fun uh, part of the show. All right, so let's talk about what's next for Mississippi State. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Stand-in man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Everybody at Campus Bookmart will treat you like family because in their mind, you are family. They consider you part of the big maroon and white family. Uh, be sure to go check them out in person, and you can uh, even meet those lovely people, and uh, they'll be happy to, to deal with you and to, uh, to give you some great Mississippi State merch at a reasonable price. It is the place to find Mississippi State merchandise. And if you can't make it to town, or perhaps you live across the country, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. It's a great way to support Starkville, even if you don't live here and you can't, can't make time to visit. Campusbookmart.net is your one-stop shop for Mississippi State merchandise. And by being a loyal Bondyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. 
And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, so, so what's next for Mississippi State? Well, I'd say the most pressing thing right now is uh, filling the inside receiver's coaching position. You know, Drew Hollingshead has coached the group uh, through bowl practices. I believe he is probably the leader in the clubhouse right now. I don't think a decision has been made just yet. I do think that might be the easiest and simplest play for Mike Leach. This is a guy that he knows and trusts, and Leach is obviously very, very big on that sort of thing. This is a guy that knows the system. He knows our personnel. So there could be, in many respects, kind of a seamless transition. The concern, what may concern you is, how is Drew going to recruit? What's he going to do on the road as a recruiter? How is he going to be as an evaluator? You know, of course, that's kind of a collective effort. But those are the things that you ask yourself. Yes, he knows the system. Yes, he knows the offense. Yes, he knows Leach. He understands the expectations. How is he going to recruit? That's the question you ask yourself. And it's a fair question. Chad Bumpus has interest in the job. I've spoken to Chad personally. I know for a fact he is very interested in the job. Now, I don't think it's a situation, too, where you look at Chad and say, okay, it's a perfect fit. Uh, Chad doesn't know the scheme, but Chad knows Mississippi State. Chad doesn't know Mike Leach, but Chad knows recruiting to Mississippi. And Chad's been recruiting for a few years now. Uh, got more experience, obviously, than Drew Hollingshead does. Has some connections in the state of Mississippi. Is a name that people know throughout the Southeast. You know, many people remember Chad's playing days here at Mississippi State. This is a guy that understands what it takes to sell Mississippi State. So, again, the concern is, how quickly can he get up to speed on the air raid? Is Mike Leach interested in taking on a guy that doesn't, you know, hasn't coached in this offense, doesn't know his way of doing things? That's all part of the process. So there's pros and cons to that. Jacob Peeler, of course, former Ole Miss, former Cal wide receiver coach, current offensive coordinator at Texas State, a Mississippi guy from Kosciuszko, comes from an Ole Miss family. But I'm told uh, by some people close to him that he, he would absolutely love the opportunity uh, to come home to Mississippi, coach at Mississippi State, get back in the Southeastern Conference. And now that he's had some experience as an offensive coordinator, it's probably good for him to be associated with Mike Leach and the Air offense. He is a fantastic recruiter. I would say of those three candidates, he is the best recruiter. This is the guy that got players from Mississippi to go to the University of California. That's a long way from home. And so I think that's an important aspect of it too. When you begin to kind of dial these guys up here, you say, well – If we're going to place more of an emphasis on positional recruiting, Jacob Peeler obviously appears to be the way to go. But again, doesn't know the system and really doesn't know Mississippi State. He's recruited against us. Can he learn to sell Mississippi State? I would suspect so. You know, again, I can't remember how many times I saw Cal pop up on some in-state recruits uh, list of schools. And he got even got A.J. Brown to take an official visit out there when he was the receiver coach at Cal. So this is a guy, obviously, that is a – a rising recruiter. I, I would suspect even when he was at Ole Miss, he was among their best recruiters. And so I, I think, again, you can look at all three of these guys, and that's not to say they're the only candidates, but I believe they're probably the three leading candidates right now. I think now that the bowl game is over, bowl practice behind Mike Leach will take some time uh, between now and the, the opening of the contact period to make a decision. So I think within the next two weeks, we'll make a decision here. Could be as simple as say, what we're going to promote from within and hire Hollingshead. Could be a situation where we say, hey, we're going to bring Bumpus home. And a lot of our fans will be in support of that. Then you look at Jacob Peeler. This is a guy that if you are an astute follower of recruiting in the state of Mississippi, 
you're well aware of the fact that Jacob Peeler did a great job at Cal and at Ole Miss when it came to evaluating and recruiting prospects. And we beat him on a couple of kids too. Uh, it's not to say that he blew us out, but the guy was a, a worthy adversary on the recruiting trail. And so I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm fine with all three because I can find a way to feel good about either of these guys. I don't really have a preference between the three because there are pros and cons to all of these candidates. You know, I think when you look at the fact that Chad Bumpus, the fact that he was a Bulldog, uh, let's be honest, if he wasn't a Bulldog, he might not be in this conversation, right? If he was just another guy that didn't have a connection to us, maybe with his limited experience, you would say, you know what, I'm not going to take that guy, and you'd be okay with it. But the pros about that is there are so many things to like about Chad Bumpus, not just because he is one of our own, but because he's a guy, too, that it's not going to be looking for the next stop. You know what I'm saying? There are a lot of guys that come in, and it's a stepping stone to another job. And that's not to say that anybody should ever be, you know, criticized for trying to advance yourself in life. But the reality of it is, is that Chad Bumpus is a Mississippi guy. And Chad is a name that people know uh, in high schools around the state of Mississippi. Chances are Chad Bumpus scored a touchdown on many of these high school coaches in the state of Mississippi. And so, uh, there would be no need to uh, introduce himself because I think Chad's you know, resume as a high school and college player speak for itself. And let's not forget the fact, too, that uh, he just coached uh, the Utah wide receivers to a Pac-12 championship, right? So this is not like he's been tucked away at a junior college somewhere just kind of waiting for his big break. You know, he was a GA at Utah, and then, of course, he worked at Austin P with Mark Hutzbutt, and you know, now he's out at Utah now and, and doing a great job. And one of the things I'll tell you guys, too, is every spring I hear from Chad Bumpus. Hey, tell me the great kids in Mississippi that maybe State and Ole Miss aren't going to take. And then, then he goes, hey, well, give me those kids that State and Ole Miss really want, too. We'll take a look at them. This, this is a guy that wants to do a good job. So that's kind of the primer of where things are now. I do think this happens sooner rather than later. I don't know if there will be in-person interviews, if there will be virtual interviews. I don't know how that process is going to work. I'll attempt to find out here in the next couple days and maybe have an update for you guys on Friday. Uh, But the reality of it is is that that's the spot we got to fill. And then we get into recruiting. The dead period ends January 13th, so no in-person or off-campus recruiting between now and January 13th. And in Mississippi State, I believe, starts school on the 15th. And so there's not a lot of time for guys to take official visits as transfers before they have to be here. You're going to see some commitments here in the next couple of weeks from the NCAA transfer portal. Now, we've talked about Marcus Banks. Now, when he committed to Mississippi State, he is the transfer cornerback from the University of Alabama. He was very, very close to committing to Miami, and Jason Washington, Darcel McBath, did a great job getting him in the boat. For about the next 48 hours, it was still rather anxious. You know, Miami was still continuing to pursue him It appears for now Mississippi State has survived that storm. And so now basically you're looking at this and say, okay, we've got the better part of uh, two weeks plus to get him on campus because there's nothing to bind him to Mississippi State at this point. He's made his commitment. And, again, he makes that commitment of his own volition. He's the one that tweeted out the graphic, I'm a dog. Now, if, if he didn't want to be Mississippi State, he wouldn't have done that. But Miami has not given up. But it does appear for now that the state has survived the return salvo from Miami. And so we believed Mississippi State will hang on to Marcus Banks. And, again, you can't take that for granted because he's still a recruitable athlete. Until he gets here and enrolls in classes, then, um, you know, he is still a guy that uh, Miami will, will pursue. And so that's kind of where we are, too, 
is every day your staff, well, they just got done playing a bowl game. They still got to stay in contact with guys like Marcus Banks. As you saw last night, Mississippi State's depth at safety is uh, pretty thin. Pretty thin. And uh, so, you know, Jalen Green, Sean Preston, those guys are out. And, and those guys are, you know, starters and part-time starters, and, and we need them. But we need some other guys behind them, too. And uh, we need an impact safety. We have had some issues covering the man-to-man coverage because of the fact that we have struggled at times with safety. So I expect to see one, possibly two, safeties here in the next couple of weeks. Because you, you got to get these guys on campus for spring practice. they got to be in here for spring classes. And so just when you think, okay, things will slow down a little bit, no, things are not going to slow down. you got to go get a kicker. Now, we were obviously uh, chasing Vito from Arkansas pretty closely, and then he decided to go to Wisconsin. And uh, there's some other names out there. You know, the uh, kicker from Coastal Carolina, uh, Massimo, is a guy that uh, is a guy that has had interest from Mississippi State. Uh, I believe Mississippi State is very much a finalist for him, but he hasn't committed yet. And so we'll see how things progress with him. Again, he's got to make a decision sooner rather than later. So we'll see how things go with him. I think that he is uh, a guy that makes you a better football team. It's a guy that's kicked a lot of field goals in college football. Uh, so that's the guy you got to go get. You know, wide receiver. You know, we talked about Chambers from FIU. He is elected to stay at FIU. And you may not know this, but uh, he basically all but committed to Mississippi State on his visit and then had second thoughts and decided to stay at Florida International. So, hey, you know what? Good for him. He would have helped us, but, you know, good for him. Uh, we'll also watch for these NFL declarations. I know Makai Polk is a guy that's expected to get his, uh, his feedback uh, I know there are some people around him that want him to return. There are some others that think, you know what, hey, maybe you should go out this year. And the guy had a record-setting career at Mississippi State in just the one year. Broke all kinds of receiving records at Mississippi State. Now, is he ready? I would say probably not. I think he needs another year to establish himself. Because I think he is one of those people, too, that's kind of unfairly labeled as a product of the system. But the guy had caught a lot of footballs for us this year, and I think – you know, with another year, he probably plays his way out some draft boards. I don't know that he would even be drafted this year, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, he's just got really the one season of work uh, to, to work from. Uh, so we'll see. Tyrus Weed, of course, is the guy that we expect to get his feedback as well. Not exactly sure what he's thinking at this point. Uh, I've even had some people tell me Randy Charlton may get his paperwork. I think all of those guys benefit from coming back. It's like when you look at the Charles Cross situation, there's no decision to make, right? I mean, this is a guy that's getting life-changing money. Uh, just here in a few months, I mean, he'll be able to take care of himself and his family and uh, set himself up nicely for the rest of his life. So that's an easy decision to make. Martin Emerson, a lot of people have a second or third raid, a third round grade on him. It's going to boil down to how he runs at the combine. And if he runs well at the combine, probably second rounder. If he doesn't run well at the combine, probably a fourth or fifth rounder. But the reality of it is Martin Emerson's a chance uh, to go play in the National Football League, and, and he has been an outstanding player for Mississippi State. So, again, you understand those guys going. I think it's pretty much a solid bat. Both of those guys are going to be drafted fairly high. Uh, Cross, obviously, a no-doubt first-rounder. And then Martin Emerson certainly would go in the middle picks, middle rounds or earlier. But these other guys, you know, I think you're taking a real chance. I mean, you look at guys like Errol Thompson and uh, Boniquez Brown and, uh, you know, Deronye Wilson, God rest his soul. A lot of these guys came out too early exhausted their college eligibility, and they signed with an agent. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, they're out of a job. They're no longer playing football. And if you're one of those borderline pick guys, you need to put some more things on film. You got to put things on tape. You do. And so my hope is those guys would return, not just for us, 
but for them. Because we don't want to have another story of another guy that goes pro early and then doesn't make a roster. I mean, we don't really want that associated with our program. And you also don't want it for the young man. You don't want them to say, okay, I've got a dream of going to the NFL, so I'm going to go all these workouts, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're playing in Canada or they're playing the Arena League. You know, you need guys to come in here, get their college degree, and then advance to the National Football League, and some guys make that decision prematurely. And while Mississippi State kind of moves on, it ends up being kind of a one-year issue for us. It's a, long, it's a lifelong deal for the player. So my hope is that these guys will get counsel of people to kind of know what's going on and will lead them in the right direction so they make good decisions. But those are things we're kind of watching right now, and, and of course we'll have updates over that on Gene's page uh, as things develop. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You guys know Brooks Bryan. I know Brooks Bryan. And if you don't know Brooks, you need to do some research. You can Google him. He, that's, one, that's kind of his calling card. Just Google me. No, he didn't say that, but you can. Uh, Brooks, uh, part of a great run of Mississippi State baseball teams there in 97-98. Robbed a home run against University of Washington and sent us to Omaha. So this is a guy that's committed to making Mississippi State and Starkville a better place to live and a better place to visit. If you were considering moving to Starkville, look no further than Portico. Very, very easy to find. 1.1 miles from campus. You take the turnoff 82 on a 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. They'll take you across Old West Point Road. Boom, there you are, Portico. Great place. Brand new construction. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two, working on that now. Getting some slabs poured, getting some plans finalized. You can have a say in how your home is built. You can pick out your lot. You can pick out your house plans. Everybody deserves to be able to do that once. Whether it's your primary residence, maybe it's an investment property for you, perhaps it is your ball game weekend retreat. Portico is going to have a place for you. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath, you know, depending on the size of your family. This may be your retirement home, maybe your vacation home, maybe your regular home. Brooks can get you going. Give Brooks a call at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. It's because of the fact it's kind of tucked away, but it's also just over a mile from campus. Outstanding, man. Outstanding. I live out here in the sticks, but if I didn't, I'd love to be closer to campus. Make my life a little bit easier. Make Portico your next move. All right, we got some other sports to play. You know, baseball season will be here before we know it. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking baseball with you guys, too. I mean, really, really excited to talk uh, baseball with you guys. But we got some basketball stuff we need to address. Mississippi State will begin SEC play this afternoon. I don't know why they changed the time of the game. I don't, but it's going to be at 4 o'clock, and that's uh, it's moved up from this evening. So it's going to be difficult for a lot of people to get here. Apologize for that. It will be on the SEC network. 4 p.m. tip against the University of Arkansas. Uh, that'll take place today. And so many of you will be at work and uh, unable to watch, but uh, you can keep up with it, obviously, on all forms of social media. It's our Arkansas team, too. We've talked about them. Guys are playing pretty well, 10-2 and two on the year, 10-2. and two. Uh, They have lost two, in a, two out of the last three, though. So they, you know, we'll, we'll see how things progress here. But let's just kind of run down their schedule a little bit for you. Really quick here. We'll avoid the exhibitions. They open with a win over Mercer, 74-61. winners over Gardner-Webb and Bud Walton. Uh, they take down Northern Iowa, 93-80. They beat Kansas State in the old uh, uh, Hall of Fame Classic there in Kansas City, Missouri. 72-64 winners in Kansas City. 
They beat Cincinnati 73-67. They take down Penn 76-60. The 97-60 winners over the Grizzlies of Central Arkansas. They take down Arkansas Little Rocks 93-78. Then Charlotte 86-66 winners. So you begin the year on a nine-game winning streak. Then you run into Oklahoma. And Oklahoma punches them right in the face. 88-66. Then they lose the next game to Hofstra. In North Little Rock, 89-81, they bounce back to take care of Elon, 81-55. And, of course, uh, they'll take on us today as SEC play is here. It's pretty crazy to think about that. It's already here. It's like we get done with football. Okay, now it's time for SEC football or SEC basketball uh, on the men's side of things. Looking at this Arkansas roster, too, they're, uh, you know, Eric Musselman's done a good job there. You know, and, and Ben Howland has done a pretty good job against Arkansas uh, over the years. Uh, look at the numbers here. They have four scores in double digits. Uh, JT Note, 18 points, and I may pronounce that wrong, so I apologize. 18 points a game for him. Chris Likes, 13.2. Uh, Tony Audesi, I apologize to the family there, 11.1. And then Devontae Davis, 10.3 points per game. 8-0 uh, and o at home, and then 2-2 two and two on neutral courts. This will be their first true road game. Uh, so we'll see how things progress. As a team, they're averaging 81.5 points per game and allowing just 69.8 points per game. And, you know, Mississippi State really doesn't like to get into those higher-scoring games. This, will, I'm sure, will be a kind of a grinded-out game. We'll look forward to watching that today. Uh, pretty decent from three-point. You know, that's been kind of the, the I guess, the Achilles heel uh, of, of Mississippi State in the Ben Howland era is uh, perimeter defense. But they do not appear to be a team that really lights it up uh, from three-point nine, just just over 30% as a team, which is not bad, don't get me wrong. But they're not one of these teams that's just going to come out there and just bomb from outside. Uh, their leading three-point shooter is uh, J.D. with uh, 27 made threes, 92 attempts, which is uh, more than double than anybody else on the team. So got to watch him. Certainly got to stay in his face a little bit and not let him get open shots. But uh, that's kind of where we are with this deal with Arkansas. And, uh, of course, we'll be right back in action on January 5th, which is next Wednesday. So we'll get the Wednesday game, get the weekend off, get back into SEC play uh, next week. Uh, on the women's side of things, you know, we're getting ready to play uh, SEC games as well. So we've had a pretty, you know, we had a, a pretty difficult stretch here in many respects. Uh, three games in three days. We get our legs under us, and now they have postponed the Thursday game against the University of Florida. Again, you know, the, 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 we've got to get a handle on this testing stuff. So Mississippi State will officially open SEC play on Monday at Kentucky. At Kentucky. We'll preview that game a little bit closer as, as we get there. But that, is, uh, th- that has been a place we have struggled to win, even under the better years of Vic Schaefer. We have had a difficult time uh, playing in Lexington. Uh, so that's where we're going to open. Would have loved to be able to play Florida first. But uh, now the, the Lady Bulldogs will open up back-to-back games on the road at Kentucky, at Alabama. Three of the first four will be on the road. How about that? So we'll see how things go. But the reality of it is, is we just you know closed the book on football for a while, and now it's time to open up for SEC play in basketball. So there's always something to cheer for. And as you guys know, we'll be getting ready to, um, to defend the national championship here in college baseball. And let me remind you, too, if you haven't thought about this, February 18th, that's a home opener. Valentine's Day weekend, right? The weekend following Valentine's Day. 
Uh, we will host Long Beach State in a three-game series. So we're going to be pretty busy pretty quick when it comes to baseball. We're going to spend a lot of time in Starkville uh, before we hit the road. And uh, we'll be on the road, I guess, starting in March. You know, we'll, uh, we'll head down to, uh, to Pearl to play Southern Miss, and then we'll be at Tulane, and then, uh, then we're going to be in Biloxi for a couple days. So going to be a, a stretch there where we are away from Dirty Noble Field and playing some pretty quality competition, and uh, we'll, be, we'll bring in you uh, full coverage while we're down there. Looking forward to that. Enjoy the Mississippi State baseball experience. And uh, we finally gotten over the hump. And now it's time for us. Now that we've done it, it's time for us to prove it again. Did we do it this year? You know, who knows? But I, I expect us to be a quality team this year. And it's all going to boil down to pitching. I think we're going to have an offense. We're going to be able to swing it a little bit. Uh, and even though we don't have a Tanner Allen or a Rowdy Jordan, you know, somebody's got to step up and find that clutch gene. But I do think that we're going to have some guys – uh, that can hit the ball out of the ballpark with greater regularity than we've seen here in the last few years. All right, that's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for your support. And uh, if you're looking for books, go to dogpiledabook.com. And uh, for what I understand, we're like four weeks away from delivery to the publisher. And so it's like four weeks. Uh, and so I'm eager to get this done. You know, of course, I get inundated with messages. I don't complain because I'm happy to communicate uh, what I'm hearing to you guys. But about four weeks away from Dogpile being here, and if you're looking for the other books, you can find them there. Of course, Blooms of Oleander, available through Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, BooksAmillion.com, all those places like that. A lot of people bought Stark Villains gear for the holiday season. Thank you very much. You can find that at StarkVillains.com. You'll be glad you did. Uh, happy to partner with our good friends at Deep South Pout when it comes to that merchandise. And so you can find that again at StarkVillains.com. Whether it be T-shirts, hoodies, you can find them in a variety of colors. But again, thank you guys so much for your support. Appreciate everything you guys do. If you're not a subscriber to Gene's page, you certainly should be. Be sure to check us out as we get ready to kind of finalize uh, the 2022 recruiting class. And you'll want to know the new players for next year, too. And, and of course, nobody's going to cover college baseball uh, like we are. So until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.